understanding of what it means when we say, Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. He said he's Lord of all that we do. So he's also Lord of our holidays, right? Because if you're a slave to someone, then they would decide whether you get a holiday or not, don't they? And what that might look like. So um, we were reminded of that just again recently and reminded of our very first holiday as a married couple where we decided um, our first December that we were just kind of follow Jesus every day when we woke up he told us to go somewhere we drove there ended up places um, met amazing friends and even ended up in in the local news newspaper in George um, and uh, just this year also just to just to give you like a practical example of how we would do this is that you know there's the whole whole family thing you're gonna go with your mom's my parents your parents not anyone's parents we're going to be rebels and start our own thing um because at some stage in your life as, as a family you kind of do that and um we just were we just reminded no but we, we follow jesus so we're going to ask him what we're going to do and the thing that we're going to whether we're ending up doing is something that i really told you now i didn't want to do that that was the one thing i told her last year we're not doing that again but then god clearly said what we should do um, but uh, the other story I want to tell you that's just really beautiful because God in this way is is really, he's still the good father. Sometimes we think, oh, if I'm going to tell Jesus he can do whatever he wants, then I'm going to have a horrible time somewhere out on the streets ministering, you know, which you might. But he's so good, you'll have the time of your life while you're laying down your life. And you'll come back and say, oh, this was the best holiday ever. Like we always used to go on missions to come back and say, wow. It was amazing. And um, so just a beautiful testimony is that we uh, got invited to a, w- a wedding in Mauritius of, of a girl that Renal discipled. And we like, okay, but we have, uh, we have to pay for everything. We're like, okay, that's great. <laughs> so we uh, prayed about it. And um, we, because in our hearts, it's this thing that we only go where Jesus tells us to go, holiday, whatever it is, doesn't matter. And we felt the Lord said, yes, you should go. There is a purpose, which then means there's a purpose, which then means you don't just go. So we felt we should go to Mauritius, but we didn't have the money at all. So we said, Lord, there's a specific date that we now felt on our heart, 21st of November, that we're asking him to provide the money by supernaturally as a confirmation that we should go. And... Um, on the 21st of November, I didn't even remember uh, about this, but Renelle kept it before the Lord the whole time. And um, she uh, once again just laid it down that morning before the Lord. And on the 21st, which was this week, uh, someone that doesn't know anything about this, we don't even really know who, but we think we know where and how, but not like it's not my mom or anyone that we know that knows about this but on the 21st of November we received well it's yeah around about 30,000 which is, will be enough so so I just want to say that the Lord sends you where you should go you don't decide where you go and he blesses that western mindset challenged you don't make decisions when Jesus is Lord he does amen I hope you don't like that so, um, as we 
start with this message this morning. I want you to close your eyes again, and I'm going to just quickly walk you through the little vision that um, we received from the Lord at the beginning of this year that identifies the three themes of this year. And it was just this uh, picture, if you can uh, picture this, of, a, of someone on their knees in a deep, intimate moment with God, weeping before him, just worshiping him, just meeting with him, just having him speak into them and just seeing that moment where someone is meeting with Jesus in such a beautiful way. Such an intimate moment, intimacy with him. And from there, I, w I saw that, uh, that person opening their eyes in the position of worship and they looked around and they saw many others in exactly the same position, having exactly the same kind of an encounter with him and they realized I'm not alone in this and they all started opening up their eyes all, all, all around each other and they saw each other and they said oh we've got this in common our father is the same father and we share the same love and everybody then slowly stood up walked towards each other took hands in awe of the beauty of the fact that they can meet the father like this and that they've got this the most precious thing they have in common and they took hands as a sign of sharing this and being excited about that fact and then as I was standing there holding hands being in awe of the unity and the love they realized that there are many others who don't yet know about this and who has, have not tasted it yet and then they lifted up their eyes towards the world outside and while holding hands, they walked with a deliberate walk, with a, f uh, a focused walk, eyes on Jesus and eyes on the love he has for those around them and hands tied to each other. And they went in to share the love of God with the world who doesn't know it yet. So the three themes derived from that was intimacy, community, and mission. Intimacy, community, mission, intimacy, we wrapped up our theme of intimacy um, last month. Please go listen to the summary of that. We summarized most of the things that we believe the Lord told us about that. And this morning, it's the last Sunday that we will focus on the topic of community, the church community. Um, and what I would like to do this morning once again is to just take note of what God has said, lest we forget it and lest we move on rather than to move in to the things that he has already said. Are you ready? So, the fruit of this morning should be that you should, A, praise him for what he has done, as, you re as you're reminded of it in your life, and we'll do that at the end with those around you. And um, two, you'll remind yourself of the things that you might have forgotten that was a very cool revelation at the time but it somehow slipped out the door of your heart and the Lord wants to bring that back this morning and say remember that and then to do business with God and say God would you do this in my heart if this was indeed you that spoke this year would you do this in me be ready so I'm going to run through it's not going to sound like a sermon, I guess. It's going to sound like, uh, I think, about 12 summaries um, of the sermons done in this regard. 
the first one, the first uh, concept that I want to highlight is Matthew 12, 46, verse 50. We're going to read a lot of scripture. That's where it's in. That's what it's about. While he was still speaking to the people, that's Jesus, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He called Peter his mother. Jesus challenging the conventional interpretation of family like Jesus challenged the conventional everything. Jesus is saying, who's my family? And in that, Jesus is just highlighting to us that there is a conventional interpretation of family, and then there is a eternal, a spiritual and eternal interpretation of what family is. And what it boils down to, as you'd remember, is this does not make the significance of your biological family less, but this makes the significance of your spiritual family in your life more. And it's something God wants to bring to the front. We can't say brothers and sisters as a mere religious expression. Something has to drop in our spirits when we realize this is true. And even though Jesus said this of his mother and brother standing outside, in this instance, it seems like he is rejecting them. As he said, if you would love your mother and father and wife and child more than me, you're not worthy of me. In this moment, he's saying, they're not, they're distracting me right now. They're not in God's world, so I, it's offensive what he's doing. But the fruit of that is so beautiful. You know the book of James? That's an amazing book. You know who wrote it? Jesus' biological brother wrote that book, who was at that stage, as far as we can figure out, the leader of the church. Jesus' brother, his biological one. So the fruit of saying if of this is not to say biological family less. It's actually agreeing with the spiritual order that there is in God. And that will cause beautiful things to happen in biological family. So we know our responsibility towards our biological family. And it says anyone does not look after his members of his own household is worse than an unbeliever. But there's this thing that God wants to instill in us about our spiritual family. And I want to ask you, when you speak about your true family, what do you, has this happened in your heart yet? That's the first one. The second one, loving what he loves most. Jesus speaks about the church, us as a community. He speaks about us as a body his body, and as a bride, his bride. We know this, right? A body and a bride. He says, for I feel a divine, it's Paul who says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, the Corinthian church, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And throughout Scripture we get the sense of the bride of Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. A lot about that in Scripture also. And the picture that was brought was, if, if I want to be friends with Jacques, 
But his bride, I don't like his bride. I don't like Nita. And I don't relate to Nita well. And I don't mind saying that. Behind his back and in front of him. My relationship with Jock will unfortunately not be what it should be. As we sometimes think we can have a wonderful relationship with Jesus, just me and Jesus, but this church thing. Oh. It's his pride. We should love it as he does. It will reflect our intimacy with him. If Nita would say, I like Jock, but I like his head only. Don't like his body. Mm, it's okay, but I, I prefer just the head. Not going to work, right? Those of you who are married will know. Those of you who want to get married will also know. That's not it. There will be a great amount of intimacy lacking. So if we do not have the relationship with the body as we do with the head, then how can our relationship with the head be all that it's supposed to be? So the question is, do we love the church? Do we love his bride like he does? Like he sees it as his own body and his own bride. And if our love to him would be whole, then this would include it. That's why loving each other is as the first commandment of loving God. Amen? You with me? So then if we call to this brotherhood and if we call to this love, what does this practically mean? And Juliet had a sermon called Being Planted. Psalm 92, verse 12 to 13. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will glow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, will flourish in the courts of God. And the question just begs where you planted. Where you planted. Where have you grown roots? What, what is the Christian community, i.e. church, community that you've grown roots in, that you've decided to plant in, that you can flourish in His courts? God calls us to that, and I want to say to you this morning that there is nothing that should uproot you other than when God moves you to plant you somewhere else. Exactly like Rob shared. We don't let other things uproot us. It takes away the nourishment that we should receive, and it takes away us bearing fruit. God wants us planted so that we can be a part of like little sinews and bones and joints and muscles, like the Word says, we all are things like that inside the body of Christ, that we can fulfill our purpose in that and be there where we are fed and where we are effective. Are you planted? Are you rooted? No lone ranger cowboys in the kingdom of God. I want to declare to you that Lone Ranger in the kingdom of God is spiritual suicide. The enemy has a field day with the one that decides to walk alone. It was never meant to be like that. He wants to bless us and bring us to the fullness inside of his body and bride. Next one, I'm just going to read this scripture. It is the most beautiful scripture on Christian community in my mind. 
just want to read the words of Jesus when he was praying to the Father for his disciples just before he went to the cross. And listen also how he prays for us. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's the heart of Jesus. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these 11 guys only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word in Cape Town in the year 2019, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Normally in Scripture, when something is repeated three times, there's a very good reason for that. Jesus cannot help himself but repeating four times that I want you to be one. And for us to say, but look at the church, look at the Methodists and us and the Presbyterians and the this and the that, and why are we not one? That's not where this thing will be solved. This thing will be solved among us. If we can be one, then we can have other discussions about bigger oneness. But what is happening in your heart with regards to this? Having the same mind as Jesus Christ, being one with each other, and having His glory made manifest through us as this happens. Amen? The next scripture said that as you come to him, he, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You are a living stone that is a, a, 
a part of this house without the living stone that you are in the house of God the house of God has got a hole in it or someone is going to trip over where the floor isn't fixed with you in it it can be beautiful chosen and precious as you are in this sermon just a side note Jock said a few things also that I think is worthwhile saying he said that Christian community is a free place to practice being a Christian and that it's for our holiness that we are here because it's not that easy always it's a lot of fun most of the times but it's sometimes a bit difficult but the beautiful thing is we can mess up and we have to forgive each other because that's what Christians do and we have to repent because that's what Christians do it's a free place to mess up and we should allow that grace to be on us and also extend that grace to others say that you're allowed to mess up and I will forgive you also and in that way such a beautiful thing happens then Renal spoke about a she spoke about it. she gave us a few lessons from community living we've been living in community houses and stuff like that me and now for the last four five years hardest one we've ever had was this one that we lived with Jock and Nita um, it uh, has been for our holiness it's like marriage hey you don't want to say this on marriage day but it's so true you don't marry for your happiness you marry for your holiness and then you become happy. Um, but uh, just in this scripture in Ephesians, God speaks about the different roles that he gives to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So there are some who operate in the office of an apostle, pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist, apostle, whatever I said for the equipping of the saints all those that embody all the rest of the gifts to do the work of the ministry and it levels the playing field in terms of who's supposed to do the work of God and be his hands and feet it is all of us and we have joint responsibility for the ministry but in order for us to do that and if all of us to grow up in this, the scriptures speak about us growing up to mature manhood so that we may no longer be like children tossed to and fro, is that inside community, it's so important that you anchor your identity in Christ, that you understand who you are and who you are called to be, because then you can be that in the community. And you won't be tossed to and fro, but you'll know your role, you'll know your place, you'll know your worth, and you'll play the game that you need to play. If the fly half is in the scrum the whole, uh, whole time, then the team's not going to make it. If the lock wants to be on wing the whole time, then the team is not going to make it. So you need to be anchored in your identity, grow up so that you may play the role that you are called to play. So grow in your identity for the sake of the community. The next slide just this is a continuation of the scripture that says it's so beautiful. Um, it says that we should rather speak the truth in love, and we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, with, with which it is equipped. Then each part is working properly, makes the body grow, that it builds itself up in love. This body must grow and must multiply. If we do not multiply, we will die. And we don't have a right to be. But it says that when each part is working properly, that makes the body grow deeper, wider, everything. So it's that call to say, are you helping us? And us is not me and Renal, but us is us. Are you helping us? So that this body can grow in the beauty that it's called for. Next one, uh, iron sharpens iron. It's a continuation of a few things I've said already, but we, we spoke in this sermon about um, this thing called offense that so often happens and happens in our heart. We get offended with someone else. What do we do with it? And Scripture says, Count it all pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, of which offense is definitely one. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We should see the incredible potential that offense has and rejoice when it comes to us. Honestly. Honestly. It matures us and that's what we want. So when we get offended, there's, there's, there's this weird thing that James, the brother of Jesus, is saying, count it pure joy when you get offended. Like, I'm so offended. I'm going to become more like Jesus very soon because I'm offended. It means I need to repent of the of things I'm thinking about this other, other person and the lovelessness that I'm displaying towards them and I need to forgive them for the sin that they've committed against me because surely they have sinned against me because we do sin against each other. And it is up to that brother and sister if they would forgive and repent but you've got the opportunity to do that in your own heart and grow. So can't it be a joy? Because it is unavoidable in community. But we have the tools to deal with it. And the tools are on the next slide. Repentance is honey and forgiveness is freedom. I don't know what I don't know what on earth. You can use those hashtags on Twitter, they're running in the wild. Here's what Jesus, this is not a scripture, this is a guy that I read something of, it's beautiful. Here's what Jesus will do for you, some say. Here's what he'll do, someone will preach. And he will do many and amazing things for us. Indeed he will, but we need to turn to him. And that means repentance, a change of mind, a turn of direction, ever so often needed in our lives. We must renounce ourselves and bid farewell to the world. There is no gospel, there is no heaven, there is no Christianity without the call to repent. When we repent of what we did wrong, God is gracious and just and forgives us. 
And the call of the Christian community is always to forgive and for you also to forgive those. What beautiful tools we have to work on it when things might get tough. Amen? And then continuing in this vein, Renal spoke again about the fact that the Word of God says that that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Because as a little child does not understand the term hope when you say, we think there's milk at home, but you can't have it now. He cannot hope in that. He needs it now. But when we mature, we learn this thing called hope and we serve a God who says that he is the God of hope and when we suffer in community it teaches us that our hope is not in people but the suffering that we get because of them grows our character and gives us hope in the God of hope and takes our trust away from people and puts it into God. So how beautiful it then is that we are not perfect. So it's the same kind of vibe that we just spoke of now. And this is God, eh? He uses these things to mature us. Then, moving on from that more morbid topic, we spoke about living a prophetic life. Living a prophetic life, we said, we looked at this beautiful picture in Revelation 7 where it speaks about what it will look like one day, where there will be no more um, tears, there will be no more needs, and everyone will be together worshiping God, and there will be so much joy, and da, da 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 And we read that scripture, and then we looked at Acts 2, verse 44 to 47, and we saw that so much of what we see in the community in the first church reflects on what we see happening one day in heaven when we are all before Jesus for eternity. And that reflection is an indication of what prophetic living means. It means that like the church in Acts, we don't look to our current situation or our uh, past situation to determine how we live, but we look to our heavenly future to determine how we live now. That's prophetic living. To ask God, what is the future of community? The future of community is that perfect oneness. It's being brothers and sisters for all eternity, running around in all galaxies, and I don't know what we're going to do. It's having no lack, complete joy, enjoying the Father's presence with each other. And then to, to grab hold of that and say, God, how can we make this real now? How can we change the way we live now to that? Or is the way I'm living now, the way that I'm working, that I'm, that I'm buying stuff, that I'm accumulating stuff, that I'm looking at the way I do family, that I'm having a house or a car and investments and all that stuff, are those things informed by God and the ideal 
Or is it just the way we're living out life because that's the way you live out life at this current time in history? And God is calling us and saying, and that's one of the reasons why we believe that God has called many of us to, to, to start wanting to live in community kind of setups more and to explore that. And so what does it look like when we live in a place like the first church where Indeed, everything I have is not mine, but it is shared wherever there's lack. Because that's what we see in Revelation and in the reflection of that in Acts. But it does not look like that when we look at the way that we normally do life right now. So we said that when the past informs our present, it's because it's fear-driven more often than not. There's a lot to learn from the past, but it cannot inform are present completely present informing present although we definitely need to react toward what's happening around us if that will only inform our present it would be comfort driven if the future informs our present it's purpose driven it's saying heaven to earth now Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant is it the NIV translation said how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity we don't have to stay in the same house it will be quite a big house but how are we living together in unity and moving towards that reflecting what's in heaven then Jacques said that in the light of the fact that we've seen that community is not something to be taken lightly, as you've heard now. It's a beautiful thing, and when we play Frisbee, and when we do all kinds of birthday parties and stuff, we, we experience the joys of it. When we go through rough times, we've got, we've got people around us. We experience so much of its joy, but there's this side that we need to come to terms of to understand that this is precious and beautiful in the sight of God. And the most precious thing in God's eyes are what? Our people. And He has entrusted it to us. He has entrusted all these people into our lives. How are we stewarding that? How are you stewarding that? How are you taking hold of this and saying, I am taking ownership of those around me, entrusted around me, the community of faith that I've implanted, and I'm taking ownership of that. I'm not expecting someone else to do, but I will be the one that will take ownership of God's most precious possession for the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. This is a beautiful parable that says that it is like when, when um, the Lord when he will leave and he will entrust his property to his servants like he's doing with us. When he comes back, what will he find? Have they been faithful stewards of God's most precious possession? Have they been faithful asset managers of it? Are we multiplying it like they did in that parable, some of them? Are we working it? Are we taking ownership of it? Or are we just burying it? 
the, the community has been entrusted to us. We're almost done, guys. It's not going to be that long. I was concerned. Then we had this beautiful word that came to us. So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are, who are of the household of faith. It, it is there in scripture that those who are of the household of faith are to be looked after especially. There should not be those among us that have lack that we don't sort out. There should not be those among us that have hurt that we don't look after. If we understand that they are brothers and sisters, then that's what we'll do. We'll cover them, we'll love them, we'll provide for them, we'll protect them, we'll be around them as a hedge. Especially those of the household of faith. There's, a, there's, a, there, there's, there's very often a growing move in the church that says, yeah, like we need to love those out there. And even when we read a parable like the Samaritan, like the good Samaritan, we think about us having to love someone that's in desperate need somewhere on the street, but that is not exactly what that parable was. The Samaritan in those days is much more like the typical guy that we would find on the streets today, looking after someone like Rob that's lying next to the street. So that we shouldn't look at it like that. But it, it is a call for us to um, stop what we're doing and st um, stop how we're running around and doing a lot of things for whichever purpose it is and look around us like Jesus so often did and see who's the person that needs a touch, who's the person that needs to be healed, who's the person I should speak to now. Because that is our primary call. And especially when we're surrounded with those in the household of faith to have eyes opened and saying, how can I love you now? How can I touch you now? How can... Are you, are you okay? And can I be there for you? To have open eyes and to stop. Like the Good Samaritan had to stop. Because there's much... There aren't many things more important than these beautiful assets of God. And there's worth it's 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 a worthy cause to just to just stop your busyness for and to love your brother. What a beautiful word. And then the last one. Interesting that the theme was quite heavy, hey? Realized as I work through this, like heavy sermons on community. But let God get the glory and may He do what He wants to do. The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. In Ecclesiastes, we read that all the pursuits of man, all the things that we work towards, that we want, end of the day it becomes vanity it is vanity and a striving after the wind and there's nothing to be gained under the sun and the preacher there comes to the same conclusion as would we would but that 
The only way where there will be fulfillment is if we embrace God's dreams and not our own individualistic pursuits of things that we want and want to achieve. And that His dreams for us is His dreams for us. He's our Father. The individualistic pursuits that we want are so often misdirected because God is not a God that works individualistically alone. What you need to follow and pursue is God's dreams because that's the way that we will ensure that they get they don't get broken as we continue. The word says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go to late rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. What is the dreams on God's heart? Say, his dreams are of eternal value. And B, he's able and willing to make it work. So if you align to his dreams and they become yours, it doesn't fail. He gives us the desires of a heart. Allow him to birth in you the real desires of your heart. It will be the things that you'll find the most joy in. And his plans for us are collective. Not as much individual isolated pursuits. Like we've seen throughout scripture, the work with every individual in scripture has always been for the collective, to the collective, to the nation I'm going to build, to Israel that needs to be redeemed, to the church that needs to be established. There's always the collective purpose. We should be looking towards that and trying to build that. Right. So as we went through this, who of you heard something, remembered something, think, oh, this was so cool. I remember what God did in my heart. Hands up. Any, anyone? Great. Would you share that with the person next to you, please? Quickly share. What are, what's the things that are really cool that you say, oh, I remember God did this this year in my heart um, when we spoke about this specific topic? 